a panel of women met and debated on who they thought was the perfect man. And people would have expected that they would have decided on some actor or some athlete or some wealthy tycoon. But these, uh, this panel of women, after much discussion, decided the perfect man was Mr. Potato Head. Surprisingly enough, four reasons. He's tan, he's cute, he knows the importance of accessorizing, and if he annoys you, you can rearrange his face. Perfect man. Well, today we're not talking about the perfect man, but hopefully how we can be a little better. Amen. Matthew chapter 25. Today I want to look at a parable that Jesus gave two times in Scripture. Uh, chronologically, this is the second time he gave it, what we're talking about in Matthew here. The first one was given in Jericho at the house of Zacchaeus. This is found in Luke 19. And here uh, in Matthew, we see that it is given to the disciples on the Mount Olives, uh, uh, near the, on Mount Olives near Jerusalem, uh, a few days before the crucifixion. Both parables speak about Jesus' departure, going away for a time, and then coming back again, and then us giving an account when he does. Let's start reading verse number 14 of Matthew 25. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents and another two and to another one to every man according to his several ability and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of these servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained back uh, beside them five talents more. As Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I know thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. But I, and I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knowest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore have put my money into exchangers, and then at thy coming I should have received mine own usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that shall be given... He shall have abundance, but from him that shall not shall be taken away, even from him which he hath. Today I want to preach for a few minutes on putting down your shovel. Put down your shovel. Let's pray. Father, I pray it help us in the next few moments here that we would see out of this parable some principles that it would apply to our life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The main thought in this parable is stewardship. Uh, stewardship is the care of something that's entrusted to your care by someone else. Uh, all three servants were judged in how they managed someone else's resources. Now understand, the master gave 
them these uh, talents. He gave, put this into their hands, but it was still his money. It was still his resources. And from this we learn that everything we have is God's. We know that. We better understand that all that we have is God's because he made them, he gave them to us, and one day... Uh, he will take them from us again, or he certainly can at any time. The lesson here is that the resources entrusted to us, they are given to us by God. They are not given to us for our own personal gain and glory. They're given to us to profit our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. They ultimately belong to him because here's, a, here's something we had better understand uh, super clearly. We only really own what cannot be taken away from us. You only own truly what you can't lose. And we can lose everything. We can lose everything so quickly. You, uh, your health, you can lose your health. How often do we hear that? Uh, people our age that uh, get cancer, get sick, you can lose your health very quickly. Your good looks, you will lose those good looks eventually. Your abilities, they will fade your fancy stuff that you have that you're so proud of and that you've invested in, one day Brother Corey is going to be selling it at Bargains on Main at a big discounted price. We often fail to understand that about our resources because we're so consumed with our own agenda that we ignore God's claims on them. And God owns everything we have. And now you might say, oh, but preacher, I tithe, and that's good. If you are in the habit of tithing, you're honoring God with the first fruits of your income. And uh, you are, by the way, you're obedient if you do that. You're disobedient if you do not do that. And that tithing is God's conduit of blessing to you. Uh, he says, give and it shall be given unto you. He tells us in Malachi that he, he uh, challenges us not to rob God, but to bring the tithes and offerings. And he says, prove me herewith whether I will not open the gates of heaven or the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. And so this is our obedience to Him. But just the fact that we tithe does not take away from the fact that God has claims to all of our possessions because you only own truly what you cannot lose. And you can lose everything that's temporal. One of the things that you learn as a child, at least my children learned when they were young, is the French fry tax. I don't know if you had that in your home. But uh, all my children learned about the French fry tax very early on. That The French fry tax is when mom and dad buys you a Happy Meal when you're little or as you get bigger, a value meal. And then uh, as you sit down to eat it, they reach over and grab a few of them and eat them out of your thing. Remember that? When you're, that's so annoying. Somebody else grabs some of your fries. That's the French fry tax. As parents, we have a right to tax that. Amen? That's good. Uh, I As I do that, though... So I take my child, I buy him or her a value meal, I pay for it with my money that I earned at my job where I put in my labor, and then we sit down and I reach into their fry box or their fry bag and I take a couple and I eat them and they, what do they say? Dad, that's mine. Really? Really? Did you get a job when I wasn't looking? and pay for that? You understand where I'm coming from? As a parent, we're like, you would not have those fries if I not, out of the graciousness of my heart, bought you the smallest one they had and gave it to you. You wouldn't have any fries if it were not for me. We do that to God, too. God, it's my life. I'll do what I want with it. Really? 
It's your life. Who gave it to you? Who gave you your health? Who gave you your abilities? Uh, you have gifts. You have abilities. And we better remember James 1.17 says, Every good gift and perfect gift cometh down from above from the Father of lights. He gave you those things and He gave them to you for a purpose. You remember Moses? Uh, God comes to him through the burning bush says, Moses, I want you to go into Pharaoh and demand, let my people go. And I want you to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And immediately Moses starts making excuses. Oh, but God, I, I, I can't, can't talk good, Lord. And I have a, I'm slow of speech and I, I can't go into Pharaoh. You know what God said in Exodus 4.11? Who made man's mouth? You tell me what you can and can't do. I made you. I made your mouth. Who maketh the dumb or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? And we would do well to remember, dear friend, who really owns our resources? Who really owns our abilities and who gave them to us in the first place? This parable here reminds us that there's a time coming where we're going to have to give an accounting for what we have and what we have been given. One day you're going to have to look Jesus Christ into the eyes and you're going to have to tell him why what you did with what He blessed you with. So let's break this parable down and apply it as we go through each step. We see first the assigning of the talents here. Uh, the reason the Lord of the servants assigned them was because He was going into a far country. This is a picture of Jesus leaving us for a time as He goes to heaven, uh, the far country, John 14, preparing a place for us. And the parable stresses that he would be in this far country for an undetermined amount of time, but he is coming back one time, as one day he's coming back. That could be today. It is imminent. Uh, it is one of the doctrines we believe in that the return of Christ is imminent. Could happen at any time. Uh, it could happen before this day is out. Could happen in a year. Could happen in ten years. That's all in the Lord's hands. But we need to have that patience for the Lord's return. Uh, in this parable, we see, though, very clearly that while he's gone, we're to be about his work, doing what he tells us to do, using the gifts that we've been given, the talents we've been given, the resources we've been given, using, using them for his glory. Now, it's interesting here, when he distributed the talents, uh, the, the Greek word for talents is uh, talantan, it's our English word talent, when we use that, we are talking about abilities, you know. Um, America's got what? Talent. There's not people carrying uh, forms of money. This is, we're talking about abilities. We're talking about talent. You can sing or you can juggle or you can do some kind of uh, whatever crazy things they do on that show. That's what we look at as talent. But in Bible times, a talent represented a large sum of money. It's the equivalent to 6,000 denarii, which is a denarii was a day's pay. So the man that got five talents would have gotten 80 years worth of wages. It was a lot of money he was given. as a significant amount of wealth. The one servant was given five talents, another servant was given two talents, and, another, and the last one was given one talent. And the Bible explains why. Because each one was determined by the master to have a certain amount of ability, and so he was given the appropriate amount of talents. So basically, he judged their capacity for business and gave them the appropriate appropriate amount. The man who owns the money is sovereign over what he has. He can do with it what he wills. And this master, it was his, and he could give it to whoever he wanted, however much he wanted, according to his determination. Now, the lesson there, God is not obligated to treat you like he treats everyone else. Some, some people God blesses more, some people God blesses less. 
And some people God gives more talent. And some people God gives less talent. In life, there's always going to be people above us, people equal to us, and people below us. This does not make me or you better than anyone else. And it doesn't make anyone else better than us. But it does make us more obligated if we're given more resources. In Luke 12, 48, Jesus said, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him much shall be required. To whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. You've been given a lot, there'll be a lot expected of you as well. Uh, the reality then leaves us with two choices. You can gripe about your situation and use it as an excuse, or you, you can accept it, start where you are, and do what you can with it. Because the comparison game is a useless waste of time when we start to compare ourselves with other people. Oh, that person's got more of this, or that person's got more of that. You will never be successful as long as you do that. Only God knows why certain things happen, and we don't understand. Why does one man get cancer and another one doesn't? Why, like my, my, not really personal friend, but someone, a good friend of my family, last week I shared with you, drowned. Younger than I am, on vacation with his family, devoted father, has young children, serving God, faithful in the church, uh, is a servant, and, and uh, spent some time on the mission field, and he drowned, tragically, in an accident. Why? Why did God take him and there's criminals and drug dealers that are walking around healthy? Why? I don't know. I can't answer that. A long time ago, I figured out two facts. There is a God, and I'm not him. And I can't answer some of those questions. Why is one woman born in Haiti and one in America? Only God knows those things. And every moment that we spend fretting about what we don't have is a wasted moment. We're not all equal in terms of talents gifts and opportunity, but we do all have the same chance and the same opportunity to do what we can with what we're given. So the question is not what I have been given. The question ought to be, what am I going to do with what, am I, what I have been given? Think of it this way. Your life, your gifts, your talents, uh, your abilities, all that is God's gift to you. What you do with them in your life is your gift to God. And I'm just asking, are you being faithful with what God's given you? It's not what you have, it's what you do with what you have that makes all the difference. We're going to see that clearly in this parable. Uh, God gives us responsibilities and opportunities and abilities, and He does expect us to do uh, what we can with them. It's interesting, He does not expect us to do what we cannot do. I'm glad for that. I'm glad he doesn't put unrealistic expectations on us. Our work, according to 2 Corinthians 8.12, is accepted according to that a man hath, not according to that he hath not. That means if you don't have abilities, certain abilities, God doesn't expect it from you. If you don't have funds or uh, you don't have monies to be able to give uh, you know, beyond your uh, tithe requirements, then that's not what God expects from you. He doesn't expect what you do not have. Look at verse 14 who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. The servants did not initiate the calling, the master did. Our calling from God is just that. It's his calling, not our calling. Now, uh, we, I've asked many times uh, as a pastor what to help people determine what God's will is for their life. What does God want from me? What does he want out of me specifically? And there's two different aspects to God's will. There's the general will of God and there's the specific will of God for your life. Now, the specific will is what we're all interested in because why? We are 
at nature selfish people. I really don't care about what God's will is for you, but I do highly care what God's will is for me, right? We're, we're, we're wired that way. So what does God want me to do specifically? Well, the focus that we ought to have is on God's general will, which is the same for every Christian. Uh, the, let me give you just a few here. To read, study, apply God's word in your life. You ought to be in the Bible. You got, you got to be, uh, spend time in God's Word if you're going to be in His will. And then a holy life. God desires our sanctification. First uh, Peter 1.16 is still in the Bible. Be holy for I am holy. This idea that you can live however you want to live today and God doesn't care as long as you're nice to people and kind. No, God does care how we live. Be holy for I am holy, He says. And then number three, to be a witness. God is not willing that any should perish. We are to be a witness for Him in some way. And then a right heart attitude. We're supposed to be kind and forgiving and loving toward one another. Uh, we're supposed to properly use our time. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. He, he asks us to do that numerous times in the Bible. Make good use of the time God's given you. The bad news is time flies. The good news is you're the pilot. And you can decide how to spend the time that you've been given. And then civil obedience. We're supposed to obey the laws of the land and maintain a good testimony. 1 Peter 2.13 Then we're to be thankful. In everything give thanks. Not for everything necessarily, but in everything give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 And there's many more, but the point I want to make is that the specific will of God for your life is found through the general will of God for your life. And as you... Uh, as you're waiting to see what God wants you to do specifically with your gifts and your talents, you get busy obeying God and what you know. Be faithful to church. Stay in the Word of God. Get around other Christians. Witness and do the things that you know, and God will let you know on those other things. He does the calling. Uh, let's look at the talents. Notice what they did with the talents. Two of them were diligent. Verse 16, they traded with the same. Now the master left, and immediately the first servant got busy. He took what he's been given... And he goes to work. And the second one does the same thing. Uh, they go to work and they, the word traded there, the, uh, the original word in, in, he, in uh, Greek is ergazimo. It means to work and to labor. The same word is used in Matthew 21. A certain man had two sons and he said, go work in my vineyard. And so uh, the, that idea of working and laboring. The trading that's talked about here involved work. And can I tell you, uh, friend, nothing uh, profitable will occur in your life without some hard work. Nothing happens easily. Nothing uh, happens automatically. It's going to take some labor. Even a mosquito doesn't get patted on the back till he goes to work. Amen. Uh, those who coast in life will not accomplish much. And sometimes we need to be willing to go to work and to labor. Success in serving God involves perspiration. Thomas Edison said this, success is 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. So one comes to him when he comes back and he says, here, master, you gave me five talents. I invested them. I put them to work and I've got 10 total to give back to you. The second one said, you've given me two and, and now I've got four to give back to you. So which one of them had the greater increase? And be careful because we as humans and especially Americans, we're all about productivity. Which one is the master more happy with? Guy that gives him 10? Remember, now that's 160 years of wages. Or the guy that gives him four? Well, uh, the answer is they were equal. Don't miss this. This is very important. They were equal. 
because both of them gave him a 100% increase on what they had been given. And we'll get back to that in just a little bit, because that's important for us to recognize today. The third guy, though, was delinquent. He said, Master, I, uh, I have your talent. I hope you're proud of me. I got your talent still. I didn't do anything with it because I was afraid. And I tell you today, many people in the church, they still don't do anything with the talents God's given them because they're afraid. I would teach, but I'm afraid. I want to witness to others, but I'm scared. I'm afraid to do so. I want to give, but I'm worried about uh, my other bills. But it's interesting here in this passage that the Lord, his Lord responded to him, not thou wicked and scared servant. He responded, thou wicked and slothful servant. Don't miss that. Because he said, oh, Lord, I was scared. He says, no, no, no. You were lazy is what you were. And so they saw that in different ways. Uh, I tell you today, everyone in this room that's a child of God today is a stockbroker for God. What does a stockbroker do? Somebody gives a stockbroker uh, amount of money to invest. You can't just sit on it. You have to invest it. You have to put it to work. You have to get a good return for it. And we're all stockbrokers for God. He gives us a certain amount of resources and we're to use them to His glory and bring a good return for His investment. So this man started out with one talent and he ended with one talent. In between, he goes out and he gets his shovel. And he goes out, the Bible says, and he gets and digs into the ground and he digs a hole and he buries the talent that God gave him. Uh, he had a defeated mentality. He, had a, he was a perpetual victim. He was afraid to do anything. He thought the system was rigged against him. And so uh, he even blamed his master, calling him a hard man. And so he goes out and digs a hole to bury his talent. You ever dug a hole? You know, you ever watch it on TV, you see somebody digging a hole. Yeah, they, they, you see the first shovel blade go in, and then two seconds later, they're, ha they're like this deep in the hole. It just, it was instantaneous. You ever dug a hole? It's not, dug, you think a hole is hard. I heard a story about the, at a zoo, uh, the elephant, uh, the elephant, uh, one of the prize elephants died at the zoo, and, and, uh, the, uh, director was coming through, and he noticed one of the workers over there, uh, just weeping his eyes out, just bawling and crying. And, and uh, he said to one of the others, boy, the elephant must have meant a lot to him. And he says, no, he's the one that's got to dig the hole to bury him. Uh, digging a hole is hard, okay? And so it's interesting that this guy actually worked hard to avoid work. It's crazy what lengths people will go to not to do their duty, not to do just what they should do. Sometimes, we say... Here he said to the Lord, you're a hard master. And people say, it's hard serving God. You think it's hard serving God? Try serving the devil for a while. That's hard. That's real hard. We need to not be warped in our thinking. And so, that's what he did though. He got out his shovel and he dug a hole. And uh, he tried to, he, he went to great trouble to avoid the work he should have done. Disobedience causes us to do dumb things. Now, master returns. Now there's an accounting. Let's look at that very quickly here. The servants all had to give an account for how they took care of the talents. And this uh, emphasizes here the certainty of judgment. We're all going to stand before God one day. Verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh. This is the testing time. Uh, long time is always a testing time for us. Our flesh doesn't like long time anything, but it is a testing time for us. So 
Two reports were given. One was a report of faithfulness, and one was a report of failure. And as, as I was mentioning here, the gains given by the two faithful servants varied. One had ten, one had four to give back to the master. But both of them were equally praised because both of them had given a 100% return on their investment. Everybody does not have the same skills and abilities as everyone else. So the same things are not expected from everyone else. And so, because a lot of times we use the lack of those things to think, I don't have to do anything for God. I don't have to do as much for God because I don't have any ability like he does or like she does. No, God expects what you can do, not what you can't do. And he looks at these two men and they gave vastly different uh, outcomes. But I want you to notice something pretty neat. You look at your Bible and I want you to read verse 23 or verse 21. Not loud, just read along with me. But I'm going to read verse 23. But I want you to read verse 21, and I'm going to read verse 23. Ready? Uh, His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. What was the difference? No difference. The one guy that had ten talents, the one guy that had four talents. Equal praise, equal recognition from the Lord. Equal attaboy from the Lord. He asks us to be faithful in what we have, not in what we have not. He does not play the comparison game. Oh, we do. We compare all the time. Preachers are big for this. We go to pastor's meetings. You know what one of our first questions is? How many did you have in church on Sunday? I'm telling you. Aren't that right, Pastor Nick? That's what it's all about, man, numbers. And by the way, numbers are important. God wrote a book called Numbers. I think numbers are important. Uh, I, it means something to him. It means something to me. So I like numbers. I uh, heard a preacher one time, it's not about the numbers. Numbers don't matter. Well, I thought about, a, I read one story about a family at the, uh, they had went to the beach, had three kids, a mom and a, the mom, dad, and three kids. They were at the beach. And, and uh, so uh, at the end of the time, they were getting ready to go. They could only find two of the kids. And couldn't find the third, and the mom's starting to get really freaked out and scared, and she's uh, trying to rush around, trying to find, and the dad says, Hey, numbers don't matter. Just come on. Yes, they do matter, don't they? And, uh, but we, we compare. We compare these type of things. God doesn't. God doesn't. Do you mean to tell me that a pastor with a thousand members in his church could get equal praise of a pastor and Timbuktu out in the middle of South Dakota somewhere that has only 25 people in his church. Yes, that's exactly what I mean. Because God asks us to be faithful with where we are and with what we have, not with what we don't have. I love that. Because we should not be playing the comparison game. You just be faithful where you are. God knows your situation. And uh, he just looks for faithfulness. You remember when Jesus was in Bethany? The woman came up, this is in Mark 14, and he puts ointment on Christ and, and uh, anoints him. And some people were critical with her and said she should have been given to the poor and to be all pious about it. Jesus says, let her alone. She had done what she could. I like that. That's what he expects from you. Just do what you can. Don't do what you can't. He doesn't expect what you can't. Do what you can. Are you faithful or have you picked up your shovel, went out to the field, buried your talent, buried your abilities, buried your resources, and instead of using them for God, you're using them for yourself or just putting them aside and not using them at all. I ask you today, put down your shovel. Put it down and get busy for God. Put those talents to use. Get it to work for Him.
back in Exodus, Moses was making excuses. I told you a second ago. And God says, hey, what you have in your hand? What is that in your hand? He said, a staff. He says, throw down your staff. And you remember the story. It became a snake. Cast into the ground. It turned into a serpent. Moses did great things for God with what was in his hand. And God, I believe, asks the same question today of you and me. What is in your hand? And you might say, not much. Not much at all. Can I challenge you? Give it to God anyway. What giants could God defeat today with your slingshot? What multitudes might He feed with your little sack lunch? Uh, what victories might He give you with your jawbone of a donkey? What great work might He accomplish with your two little mites? Just give what you have to Him. Put down the shovel. Instead of going out and burying it somewhere, get busy for God with what you can do. Just be faithful. That's all He asks. That's all he asked. The lazy servant said, I hid thy talent in the earth. Verse 25. The master did not give us talents to hide. He gave us talents to use. Gave them talents to use. The servant tried to cover up his disobedience. So I know you're a hard man. And by the way, speaking ill of the master is not a good idea at that time. But people like to blame God for their disobedience and failures all the way back to Adam. Remember what he said? When he disobeyed, it was the woman that you gave me. It's your fault, God. It's never God's fault. Never God's fault. It's always ours. Let's just be faithful and do what he says to do. Uh, one, how one speaks of God says a lot about their work of God. Let's look at the rewards. Not only does the master praise the skills of the servants, but also their character. He calls them good and faithful servant. Faithful emphasizes the uh, trustworthiness of their character. Good character is essential in doing your work well. Uh, you've heard that a pr man's private life does not affect his performance. Absolutely it does, because character matters. And uh, you ought, I'm just asking you to challenge you today. Live right, do right, be faithful in what God, you know that God wants you to do. Put down your shovel, stop burying your talent, and put it to work for God, even though it's not a big thing, maybe. Maybe it's just a small thing, but let God have it. God rewards faithful men. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. The principle here is if you're faithful in small matters, you can be trusted in larger matters. We understand that. We understand that even today. Uh, you, you reveal yourself in small matters a lot more than you realize. If you're willing to steal from the supply closet at work, what else are you willing to steal? You know what I'm saying? We reveal ourselves in small ways. Small lies lead to big lies. If you're willing to sell your character for a small matter, you'll be willing to sell it for a large matter as well. Just be faithful in what God has for you. Now the delinquent is dealt with. Because men will not only be judged for doing wrong, they're going to be judged for neglecting to do right. And he calls him in verse 26, a wicked and slothful servant. The condemnation for him was just like the praise for the other two in that it spoke first of their character. His character was wicked in general and slothful in specific. Lazy people are never good at doing their duty. And lazy people always have lots and lots of excuses. Don't they? You ever been around lazy people? Lots of excuses. The word lucky is how a lazy person describes someone who works hard. Lucky or has, is successful. 
he complained that the master was cruel and expected too much. But the Lord of his servant throws it right back. Of, if I'm cruel and I have high expectations, why didn't you at least throw it in the bank where I could have gotten some interest? Because he, uh, the excuse he gives was not a valid one. The, uh, the, the excuse he gave should have prompted action, not prevented it. Because the complaints and excuses of lazy people often expose their character. Look at verse 28. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. The servant who refused... Don't miss this, is so important. The servant who refused to use his resources lost them. We ought to stop and think about that for a second. You've been blessed with abilities. You take your shovel and you bury it. You don't do anything for God with it. And you're, or maybe you use it for selfish pursuits. God can take that from you like that. He can take it from you very quickly, as He did the talent here. He said, give it to the one who has ten talents. Here's another principle from Scripture. God is not interested so much in what He gives you as what you do with what He gives you. We are... Oh, we make a big deal with what's been given us. I'm the best, whatever. I'm the greatest at whatever. And we give out awards and we, uh, we brag on the abilities that we have. Can I tell you, God is not impressed at how good you can sing. He gave you that voice. God is not impressed at how good of a public speaker you are, whatever your ability is. He gave you your abilities so you could use them for Him. So wasted ability, friend, is simply ability that's unused for God. Buried. Because somebody took up their shovel and dug a hole and put it in there instead of using it for Him. If God, listen to this now, if God cared one whit about your talent, then He wouldn't have been upset when the man still had his Remember? See, I, I, he didn't lose his talent. He still had it. Call him a wicked, slothful servant because I gave you that talent. I don't care about that talent. I care what you do with that talent. And you did nothing with it. And today he looks at you, friend, and he's given you abilities. He's given you talents. He's given you resources. And if you choose to do nothing for God with them, that's why he gets upset, calls you wicked and slothful as he did this servant here. Our problem with the Christian life is we like to play it safe. Let me ask you this today. Have you ever offered yourself unreservedly to the Lord? Lord, here I am. You can have me. You have everything I have. And uh, it put me where you want to put me. Use me as you see fit. But we don't like to do that because we like our comfort zone. And a ship that is anchored in the har- safely anchored in the harbor... You might be safe, but that's not what ships are for. Ships are to go out and do and sail and get the job done. Put down your shovel. Okay. If your goal is to live a life of security and safety, never taking any risks, you're picking up your shovel. You're burying your talent. You're, you're staying safe and you're keeping it in the earth. Oh, it's safe, Lord. I, I, nobody's going to take it. Nobody's, nothing's going to happen to it. It's still there but it's unused, and so therefore it's wasted. Jesus never took the safe route. Where today are the young men who will walk through fire before bowing to the world's image? Where are the young ladies like Esther that will risk their life 
to do what God wants them to do? Where are the young men that'll face a giant to defend God's name? Where are the young men that'll sleep with lions before they compromise their convictions? Hey, take a risk for God. Put down your shovel. Quit digging a hole and burying your talent and leaving it unused for God. Put it to work for Him and see what God can do with your little. One day we're going to stand before God. We're going to give an account. Are you going to play it safe? Or are you going to get busy for Him? Doing everything you can to advance His cause in the world. Taking risks by getting out of your comfort zone. Can I tell you today, friends, great things never come from comfort zones. Ever. Great things only come when we step outside of our comfort zones. I don't want to hoard my resources to have earthly security. God has given you maybe a little, maybe a lot. He does not expect a lot if He's given you a little. He only expects you to be faithful what you have. Maybe you're a one-talent type of Christian. Maybe you're a two-talent type of Christian. Or maybe you're a five-talent type of Christian. God expects you to just be faithful what He's given you. What will you do today with it? I ask you today, don't bury it. Don't stick it in the ground. Don't leave it unused. Get busy for God and use it for Him. <clears throat> only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What are you doing with your talents, your abilities, your resources? Don't pick up your shovel. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. What about you today, dear friend? Maybe you're here today and you say, I, Preacher, I've never, I've never actually accepted Christ as my Savior. I don't even know if I am a child of God. And if that's you, hey, don't leave today without settling that in your heart. Because that's just simply a matter of a decision that you can make even today. But your dear Christian today is was sort of directed toward us in that what are we doing with the resources that God gave us? God gave every single one of you abilities and talents. Are you using them? Or have you picked up your shovel and buried it? Would you stand along with me as she begins to play and the altar's open this morning if there's